The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, Happy New Year to you. Welcome to the Inn. Welcome to 2011, to Winter Quarter, all of those things. My name's Ryan Church, one of the pastors here on staff at University Ministries and UPC. And it's great to get started in a new year. Do you know that what you just did in turning and greeting each other is one of the things that, that Christians, that communities of faith are most known for doing, turning and greeting each other, according to the blog StuffChristiansLike.net. Some of you are probably familiar with this. Some of the other things that that blog says that Christians are known for are things like candlelight services. You know, if you came to the last end of the quarter, we did one of those. I know that I got to do one on Christmas Eve right here in our sanctuary. My two-year-old son, who who only refers to himself in the third person, says, Carson wants fire. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) have your fire. Okay, the, the, of course, we, we love connecting brave hearts to Christianity. I, old men die, but few really live. Probably doesn't sound like that, but oh well. Uh, perhaps, uh, well, I can, I can assure you that Braveheart has been a reference in this very place here at the inn before. How about this one, journaling? Okay. Do you know any non-Christians that actually journal? Using one of those journals, certainly Christians are the only ones that I know that sit in a coffee shop with a leather-bound journal and journal. Okay, people that aren't Christians just blog, blog these days. Okay, so... Odds are, if you're, you know, if you're someplace and you see somebody writing in a leather journal and you're wondering, oh my goodness, you know, I kind of like them, I'd like, kind of like to ask them out. I wonder if they're a Christian. Odds are, they are. <laughs> okay? And then, um, of course, the, the, the other thing that Christians are, are known for is using what, if you listen to the prayers of the people, is clearly God's favorite word, and that is the word just. Lord, I just pray that you would just show up in this place and you would just make it things better, that you would just do this and just do that. Honestly, when I first read this, I, I started listening to how I pray and, and I was actually annoying myself with how often I would use the word just. And now I've totally ruined it for you by bringing it up. You're going to be praying. You're going to be listening to how often this word is used in the context of, of prayer. It might be one of the things that we are known for. Uh, Perhaps dubiously, uh, the other thing that we are known for, that Christians are known for, is exactly, is judgment. We're known for being judgmental. And that's what we're going to start tonight as we look at, over the next three weeks, at the very end of Revelation, we're going to look at three more things that, that are often associated with Christians. We're going to look at, at judgment. We're going to do that tonight. Next week, we're going to look at, at this idea of hell. Of course, that goes in concert with judgment. And then in a couple weeks, you're going to get to hear from Chris Sherman about the best idea of them all, the best reality of them all. And that, of course, is heaven. This is all done in the context of what we've been looking at in Revelation throughout fall quarter, where we are looking to see how is Jesus, who is he right now? 
Who is he right now? And what we discovered last quarter is that, is that ultimately what revelation is all about is Jesus wins. And in these last weeks, I, this series that we're calling just for the win, how did, how did these ideas of, of judgment and heaven and hell actually show us the depth to what Jesus does in winning, in winning the universe, in winning each one of us. So I think, I think it's, it's uh, three weeks that really scratch at a lot of the questions that I hear come from uh, college students on a regular basis. Now, when we consider judgment, when we consider heaven, when we consider hell, uh, what I found is that a lot of the ways that we think about this are shaped by experiences we've had. We're, they're shaped by, by practices that we've employed. They're perhaps shaped by things that we've seen on TV. But when it comes to these things, rarely, rarely is it how we think about judgment or hell or heaven Rarely does it come from scripture. So over the next three weeks and starting tonight, the opportunity we have are to, to think about these things relative to what scripture has to say about them. So hopefully, uh, this can, uh, hopefully answer some questions and, and give us a better idea of why these things are good news. Okay. So tonight as we talk about judgment, I know that when I think about that word and in what I hear people say relative to that word um, as it connects to Christians is it's most it's mostly linked with this idea of being judgmental. And certainly for any of us in this room, we would say that 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 judgment or being judgmental is is never a pleasant thing. I know that that's true for me, that when I think of judgment, uh, my, I started thinking about what's my first memory of judgment, and what I came to was was first grade, in Mrs. Luther's first grade class, and taking a spelling test where we had these flashcards and you had to identify the words. Well, the word I I failed a spelling test because I missed the words whom, who, and whose. Okay, I for whatever reason I don't know who comes up with the rules that we call phonics, but why does the why do you have to do that to me? You know, for whatever reason, that W in, in that WH combination was a really hard one for me. And there's been a lot of redemption. Now I really love the letter W. It's a good W. It, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And, I, you know, I recognize that you've got to have that W there. Otherwise, you're going to have a bunch of first graders saying ho. And we don't want that, right? <laughs> I failed a spelling test in first grade. And I remember just feeling like my world was, was uh, falling apart. Fast forward a few years to my sophomore year of high school. I'm, in, I'm taking a, a math class, and, and, and I remember Mr. Smith pulls me aside and just says, Ryan, I just, I just want to tell you something. You know, you're not good at math. <laughs> okay. Okay, I, you know, I mean, let's be honest. The dude was kind of telling the truth, but it was, it was profoundly discouraging. At the very least, he was saying, what I heard was, I certainly don't want to teach you math. Um, and then, it, it, you know, continue into my, my career in college with math, and the professors essentially said the same thing. Didn't feel good then either. 
The other th- and then in, in high school also, any, I, I was perennially one of the first one judged in sports tryouts, i.e. cut. And it was, it was always entertaining to see how these, these coaches who liked me as a person would basically try to gently say, Ryan, bro, you suck. <laughs> and they always tried to do it as pastorally as they could, but it never, ever felt good. And then, of course, romance. Oh, oh, sweet romance. And the storied history I have there. Okay, my, in my dating and romantic history, at best, I mean at best, I'm batting like 200. And, you know, for those, you know, but after you ask people out and kind of perpetually get rejected, you have to look for other devices. And so me and, and this dude that I was in the fraternity with who had a similar batting average, um, we, we employed this thing that we called the rejection theory. And it worked a little something like this, where we'd go, you know, there would be a, a dance coming up, and we would say, okay, you know, what's, what's, our, what's our number this time? You know, and this, this dude, uh, a dude that I would call Rosie Rose, Alan Rosen, he would say, how about seven? I'd go, seven it is. And so the goal was you needed to, before that dance, you needed to get seven rejections. Like the idea was to get out there and get seven rejections because we were both kind of getting a bit gun shy. And inevitably what would happen is I'd be sitting there one day, you know, at lunch and then Rosie Rose would come in and, and he'd have this downcast face. And I'm like, oh, dude, what's going on? You, you all right? And he's like, dude, I got to five. But, but then she said yes. And I'm like, oh, you didn't get to seven. That sucks. <laughs> well, dude, I think I'm going to get there this time. You know, that we had to play this, this game of reverse psychology because the judgment of having these girls constantly say no to you, constantly reject you, was always so painful. This, this game of reverse psychology at least made you feel like you were going to win somehow. <laughs> judgment hurts. It can leave us scarred. Yet it is one of the things that if you were to go out on the campuses that we come from and say, what marks a Christian? Being judgmental would be one of the things that they would most likely say. We're known for being judgmental. Yet when I talk, I know that that many of you are out there going, yes, I've experienced that. I've experienced the discouragement and the rejection of what it feels like to be told, you failed, you stink, you're wrong, you suck. Yet it's what we're known for. Now, this is in tension with the fact that there is no doubt that judgment is a part of the biblical narrative. And it's very prominent in in what we see in the book of Revelation. We see this at first this lamb who sits on the throne and we begin to have this image of judgment formed as we get further on in in into the book of revelation we hear this song in in revelation chapter 7 that that says salvation belongs to our god to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb embedded in that song is the reality of judgment that belongs to the king to the one who sits on the throne. 
Yet this judgment that we talk about, as I hope to show you tonight, is something very different than how we might traditionally think of judgment. So what I want to argue tonight is that judgment is, in fact, good. When we remember who the judge really is. And when we worship that judge. And when we remember what his judgment is intended to bring about. Let's pray tonight as we get started. Lord, would you renew our minds? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you comfort us? But Lord, would you ultimately help us to know you better because we showed up tonight? Would you change our minds and change our attitudes about what we think about in judgment? Lord, bless us as we come to your word together. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, to set this stage, we get into Revelation 14. And there's these fantastic images, as those of you that have, been, have joined us throughout the year have seen. And, and as we get to Revelation 15, what's happened is that there's this thing that we might call the satanic holy trinity. These, these two beasts, one coming up out of, the, out of the sea, another coming up out of the earth, and then there's this dragon. And what the scripture tells us is that the satanic holy trinity, while it cannot defeat God, it's a sore loser. So what it does is it goes after that which God loves the most. And what does God love the most? You. God loves me. God loves God's created people. And so this satanic holy trinity in its sore losing says, I'm going to go after that. Well, as we get to chapter 15, the tables begin to turn. And, and the, the, the redemption story begins with this pronouncement of judgment. 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 And we get to chapter 15 and this song is sung. And this is, this is the, the text I want us uh, to read tonight. Check this out. It says this. Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your judgments have been revealed. They're praising God in this song for his judgments. How often do you praise God for God's judgments? If I'm to be honest, judgment is not the first thing that I praise God for. Probably because throughout Christian history, there are a lot of judgments that the church and Christians have made, that I'm actually embarrassed about. That when when I associate the judgments of the church and Christians throughout history, it is something to be embarrassed. And then fast forward to the culture that we live in, a culture that says, hey, whatever works for you, whatever whatever your, your thing is, hey, that's fine. Just don't judge me. I think about judgment with a with a suffocating or even embarrassing context. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the prayer that Jesus 
taught that in this prayer, there's, there's the line, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, often when I find myself praying this prayer, I begin to reflect on the ways that, that often the way I live has a lot more to do with sounding like my kingdom come, my will be done. You see, God's judgments and why we get uncomfortable or embarrassed about this come into conflict with the judgments that I might otherwise make. You see, I, my judgments and my kingdom judgments are wholly different than God's. Okay, for example, what would, what would the kingdom of the R look like? Okay? Just in case you want to know. Okay, in my kingdom, in my, in my judgments, my kingdom would have no cats for sure. Okay? My kingdom would not, ha- I know, right there, my wife would go, I don't want to live in your kingdom. Okay, my, I don't think my kingdom would have instant replay. It just slows things down too much. You know, I'm so tired of hearing about there has to be conclusive video evidence and Pac-10 officials are just the worst. Okay, um, th- there would be in my kingdom, okay, this is going to be the one that, that you guys send me hate mail about. I'm positive about it. In my kingdom, there's no country music. Okay? All right. Okay? In, in, in my kingdom, okay, here's another one. Okay? In my kingdom, there's no Christian radio. Okay? And there's, and here's why, I'm, I mean, I know that Christian radio is well-intentioned, but there's, there's sometimes when the commentators are just, the, the dialogue is just so sweet that I have to go brush my teeth because it gives me a cavity. Okay? And then, you know, some of you might like this. It would change the landscape of things, but there'd be like a putting green on every street corner that I could, you know, as I'm walking to work, I could hit the ball onto, knock in a couple of putts, you know, maybe do some, well, no, I wouldn't gamble on the golf course. That'd be sin. wouldn't do that. <laughs> My guess is that you guys are out there going, I would not want to live in that kingdom. You see, even for somebody, my wife would not want to live in my kingdom. When we take the place of being judge, that's where things go wrong. Now, you know what I'm talking about. If we're to be, if we're to be a little bit more serious about this. As I shared towards the end of of last quarter, there's a lot of ways that we find ourselves being harsh towards others. Perhaps tonight you've already been sitting there thinking, oh gosh, I didn't like the way that Brad started that one song. I don't like the sweater that the guy up there talking is wearing, and those shoes are terrible. Okay, Don't we do this though? Don't we make these quick judgments? And if you're not making these judgments about somebody else, one of the great struggles that I have is finding myself making judgments about myself. Often the inner dialogue that I have about myself is one where I'm the one throwing down on me saying, you suck. These people don't want to listen to you. You're not good enough to do this. 
the judgments that we make upon ourselves, and I know I'm not alone in this boat, the way that we throw down is this harsh, critical judgment that we have in looking in at ourselves. And it is often that that springboards us to looking at other people and sitting around, you know, perhaps doing a little bit of people watching and making these quick judgments in order that we might somehow re-exalt ourselves to the throne of our own kingdom and feel okay about ourselves. And okay about the, the judgments and perhaps even bad judgments that we make. You wouldn't want to live in my kingdom. And I would not want to live in yours. You see, judgment goes bad. When we are the ones that take judgment into our own hands. It's God's job. It's what God is there. And we can praise God for that. He is a good judge. Salvation belongs to our God. His judgments are right. One of the problems, for example, with cults is is a cult. Even Even in a Christian community, Cults take judgment into their own hands. It, it's what, what we often call questioning somebody's salvation. In a cult, what happens, and, and this, is, this is actually something that is important for you to know because these cults exist on campus here. You know, a great question to ask would be, would be perhaps about baptism. And if, if you are connected with a Christian community that, that is saying, you have to be baptized in our church, in our community, in the way that we want you to, in order for you to really be saved. The way that you were baptized at the inn, that doesn't count. You're not really saved. That, that doesn't matter for anything. Okay? If, if you ever come across a community like that, that is a cult. Run from it. Because the other thing that that cult will do in its judgment will make it really hard for you to escape. You see, what communities do that become cults is they take judgment in their own hands. They're the ones that say, salvation belongs to us. No, no, no. Salvation belongs to our God. For you alone are holy and all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts is the other way that we could say that. Your judgments, O Lord, have been revealed. You see, with God, judgment is good. Why? Why? Because judgment is intended to rescue and redeem from evil. In the context of this song that we read earlier from Revelation 15, it, these people who have been just terrorized by the satanic holy trinity, judgment comes in. Judgment from the lamb who was slain that says, I'm going to rescue God's beloved from that. It is a judgment that rescues and redeems. It is filled with grace, mercy, and justice. Judgment is good. It judges evil. 
and gives evil its due. But we take judgment into our own hands and it gets us into trouble. In order to, to, for judgment to be a good thing, we have to leave it in God's hands. To let it be that thing that rescues and redeems and delivers God's people from the tyranny of evil. So how do we do this? What do we do to make sure that judgment remains something that we would want to be known for? Because it's good, as opposed to being judgmental and that thing that Christians are often known for. I want to give you two really quick things. The first is simply to let God be God. How do we do that? We do that, for example, in what we do here on a Tuesday night when we come and we worship together. You see, it's not about us coming and judging what we get out of it. It's coming back to reroot ourselves in the reality of a righteous judge that is for us and to reroot ourselves in the reality of that God's love for us. As my friend Alan Belton likes to say, loved folks, love folks. That when we gather uh, like this, the opportunity is for us to remind each other and to come to the word and to sing some songs that remind us that you and you and you are loved by God. And all of us in this room are in fact loved. Therefore, our need to judge goes down. Our need to, to look around and tear people down for the way, ways that they look, for the ways that they talk, for the places they live, for the things they've said, for what they stand for, goes down because we're loved. And we know that. Let God be God. And part of doing that is worshiping that God instead of trying to put ourselves in our own kingdom. Thy kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Thy will be done, not my will be done. And then finally this. And this is key. If you checked out, tune back in really quick because you need to hear this. What would it look like for us to replace our impulse to judge with an impulse to bless? What would it look like for us to to change the way that we make judgments about people that we come into contact with and replace it with blessing? Like Sean said in his witness, uh, this this experience to, to come into contact with those that he would otherwise be tempted to turn away from and engage them and, and bless them. Several years ago, I heard this man named Greg Boyd who will be the speaker at our winter retreat here in a few weeks. He came and shared a story that I found to be deeply, deeply convicting. And it's this story of him going out to the local, the local mall, and, and as he's, he's there, he's drinking a Coke, and, and he's people-watching. And as he's people-watching, he's noticing, oh, you know, that person is slender. That person is obese. That person is ugly. That person is pretty. That person's happy. That person's sad. 
that person's not treating their kids very nice. And as, as he continued to sit there, he recognized that he was noticing all these things. And as he noticed that he was noticing these things, he, he called to mind the, the scripture from Luke where Jesus sends out his disciples two by two and Jesus uh, commands them that when you go into somebody's house, the first thing that you are to do is to bless them. And so uh, Greg, in, in, as, as he noticed he was making these judgments, decides that He wants to change his mind. He wants to fight that impulse to bless and instead uh, take the scripture seriously and do something different. And then he shares the balance of this story in in his book, Repenting of Religion. I want to share it with you. Okay, so when he recognized he was making all these judgments, judgments that we also make, it's an impulse that we make, that we've been conditioned to make by a consumer culture where we we judge people in the in the same way that we might judge buying a new pair of shoes right where we, where we make a, a a decision based on how what does this do for me how does this make me look can i afford it what will it do for me we can't judge people like we judge a new pair of shoes. And, and Boyd being convicted as he was making these judgments says this. He says, so I stopped. I determined to have one thought and one thought only about every person I saw in the mall on that afternoon. I was to love them and bless them as people uniquely created by God who have infinite worth because Jesus died for them. Whatever they looked like, however they were behaving, whatever their demeanor, I simply agreed with God that each of them has infinite worth. I just love them. I began randomly selecting people in the crowd to love and bless. As I replaced judgmental thoughts with loving thoughts and prayers of blessing, something extraordinary began to happen. I began to see the worth I was ascribing to people, and I began to feel the love I was giving to them. As I ascribed worth to people, not allowing any other thought, opinion, or feeling to enter my mind, my heart began to expand. In fact, at certain moments, I felt as though I would explode with love. I was waking up to the immeasurable value and beauty of each person in the mall that afternoon. Replacing judgment with blessing. Now, as I've shared earlier, in my life, I have experienced judgment. I've known judgment of and in my faith as well. As I entered college and I was really wrestling with what it was that I believed, I had this in- encounter with, the, with people that I would ask questions of that would just flat out say, you're not a Christian. There were people that would, would, would throw down judgment on me, Christians that would throw down a, a demeaning judgment on me for what I would admit are poor decisions that I were making. But it, it was profoundly discouraging. And it repelled me from those people. And even as a pastor, I felt the weight of, of judgment where there are others in the Christian community that might accuse me and my colleagues of not taking the gospel seriously enough. Not holding a particular view about this or that in Scripture. Taking a stand on things that other people wouldn't take a stand on. That type of judgment hurts. And it's deflating. 
But the judgment of God is one that is not intended to deflate. It's judgment that comes with mercy and grace and justice. It is a judgment that rescues the afflicted. Judgment that delivers and restores the persecuted. My sophomore year as a college student here at UW, as I was in the middle of that exploration, after a particularly rough night of alcohol and pornography and just general hedonism, I went to class the next day and I arrived back to my house to find a, a, a letter on my desk. And I can't remember exactly what this letter said. But it said something to the, to the effect of, you know, God has something better for us. It was not condemning. It was not judgmental. It was an invitation. It was an invitation from a friend of mine. An invitation to something better. An invitation to be rescued from whatever it was that I was looking for that alcohol and that media to fill in my life at that point. An invitation that says, you know what? I think God has something more for us, you, and for me. It was a letter that ascribed value and worth to me. A letter that says, there's something better for you. I know it. God loves you. I want you to know that because I want to know it myself. That's what my friend was trying to say to me. Friends, that's the community that I want us to be. Can we replace judgment with blessing? Can we redeem what the whole idea of judgment in the Christian faith actually looks like? Can the way that we witness to judgment be one that that doesn't condemn, but invites? Invites people to the way, the truth, and to the life that is only found in Jesus. Let us replace our impulse to judge with an impulse to bless. Let's be a community of grace and mercy and justice. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that your judgment throws down on evil and rescues us. Lord, thank you that Uh, you bring grace and mercy and justice. Lord, uh, may we replace our impulse to judge, to exalt ourselves, Lord, with exalting and blessing others and to do so in your name. Lord, may that be our resolution for 2011 and guide us by your spirit as we do. In Christ's name, amen.